Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And this week, uh, we've returned. We had a great Thanksgiving break. Uh, I ate a lot of food, uh, had a lot of leftovers, ate so many leftovers. Uh, but I have officially cleaned out my kitchen. There's no more Thanksgiving leftovers. Hope that's the same for all of you because you really shouldn't keep them too much longer than a week. Yeah, no, I accidentally left stuffing out and it ruined and ruined my whole day, actually, because I was really kind of looking forward to three extra meals of stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do, you do stuffing sandwiches? No, no, I just I just eat it because it's literally just bread. It's just moist bread. I will eat any amount of it. So it's like croutons, but socially acceptable to eat alone. <laughs> Look here, I will not have you slander one of my favorite snacks. Oh, no, no, I love croutons. People just judge you if you just eat croutons oh. <laughs> instead of instead of an actual um, anything that croutons are supposed to go in, I suppose. Speaking of, of croutons and just eating croutons, uh, have y'all ever had, like, the Ritz chips? They're just, like, chips, but they're mostly just bread. Like, they're just crackers, uh, right? No, I've never had that. They, they've no. got, like, some potato in them, apparently. But they're just, like, chips, but they're, like, Ritz crackers. Um, and I discovered something very weird today, and that's that there's a Tabasco flavor. Uh, and for some reason, oh. every time I eat one of them, I sneeze. This is uh, horrible. It's this, absolutely terrible. This is a bad <laughs> enough concept as the chip alone, but now that they're flavored chips. They're Tabasco-flavored Ritz chips. And if I eat one... It makes me sneeze, which is very bad to do when you've just eaten spicy chips. Yeah. Um, so I've had an interesting day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we had our, our Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you all for uh, letting us have a week off. We're going to have at least one week off coming up pretty soon because uh, there's you know more holidays in December. Uh, but this week, we're going to start with... Week three of Crimson Val Story. Uh, as of right now, all Crimson Val Story is published online, so you can go ahead and read to the end if you'd like. We are still covering it week by week, so we'll do episode three of the main story and the third side story this week. Uh, there is some news. They did announce an alchemy uh, format on Magic Arena. It's a take on standard where they are rebalancing cards for digital purposes and adding in some new ones. If that's your thing, if you're a big arena player and you love new formats of Magic, you should go check out all the information on that. Uh, by the day you're listening to this, there will be a lot of cards revealed. Uh, the ones that we have so far, several of them are themed around Innistrad, so that's really neat that we're getting more cards for Innistrad in a way. They're just all on Arena. Uh, so go check out some of those new cards. I think that there's something interesting going on with one of them, uh, but we'll we can talk about that some other day. I'm just disappointed that there wasn't a full week-long spoiler season for extra cards getting added on Arena, because that's what everybody was missing, was more spoilers. More spoiler season. Yeah, especially since we got uh, previews for Infinity that I didn't realize wasn't coming out until April, so I'm like, ugh. I legitimately thought all the previews for that were coming out this week. I just figured, like, so oh, okay, this is the start of it, and it'll be over by the end of the week. But <laughs> no, apparently... Apparently not. And that's that's on top of all the secret layer stuff that goes on. But again, Ugh. I only have to absorb that tangentially through um, vague tweets that escape my muted words. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I just think it's really great that we are a uh, Vorthos podcast and we just talk about the lore so we don't have to spend uh, entire episodes talking about all the product releases because we could spend entire episodes just talking about product releases. There's just so many of them. If it's five weeks of story and we lag three weeks behind by story three, we're going to be a full year behind if we're covering (laughs) product releases. It'll be quite a while. Yeah. Uh, this is to say there will be no flavor gems of alchemy. Um, that is, that's just not, we don't have time for that. But, uh, but Captain Eberhard and the Git Rock Monster new card, like, come on. Yeah, those are cool. And if you want to talk about them, I recommend joining our Discord server where Brian can gush about these cards to you in uh, our channel dedicated to previews of new product. But for now, we're just going to talk about story. Uh, so... I guess we can just go ahead and get started. Uh, we're we're going to start with the main story like we do every week. Uh, episode three, Forever Hold Your Peace. So uh, this week's main story is a direct continuation of the last week's main story, where it ended with the reveal of Edgar Markov and Olivia opening all of the Markov family coffins to welcome her new in-laws to the ceremonies uh, in a pretty extravagant display. Uh, also, sort of tying up Mark Soren so that he can't interfere with this wedding. Uh, we learn that he will definitely interfere with this wedding, but it starts off with him in chains and Olivia and Edgar uh, standing at the, the altar and up above them, descending now as a gift to everyone, is Sigarda. So I highly recommend you read this story, if you have not already, for some of the most beautiful writing in the opening uh, K. Arsenault Rivera, who's written all of the main stories, starts off with this beautiful, detailed recounting of how a stained glass window is made, explaining all of the parts and effort that goes into it and the fact that it takes so many hands and so much work and so much time. Uh, and then she she gets to end it with, if you are lucky, it will last a few centuries before, before someone flings an angel through it. It's um, <laughs> great. This is This is also probably the only in a straw or the best example of an in a straw story where there will be a vast vast discrepancy between the events that we are summarizing in this versus the actual story itself like just go read the story <laughs> like chris said a lot of it uh, a lot of the story is sort of taking place internally i think the events that happen in this week's story probably take like 5 minutes maybe Tops, yeah. like I would say, five minutes is the the extreme end of how long the story takes. But it is full of this sort of details and eter- internal uh, thoughts of Soren, and really sort of paints a picture of who he is as a person, not just as you know Soren Markov, the broody emo. Um, so uh, Olivia has somehow gotten Sagarda and tied her up in some enchanted red ribbons. And she's presenting Sagarda to Edgar and all of the vampires. And clearly, they're going to perform some ritual. Uh, and Soren assumes, based off of the fact that, you know, he's a Sangromancer, his grandfather is a powerful Sangromancer, they do all sorts of stuff with blood magic. And uh, Olivia is filling the Moon Silver Key with Angel's Blood. So Soren's assuming that the idea here is that by drinking the Angel's Blood, Olivia will now gain power over the angel. And if it's, you know, Sigarda, there's a good chance she'll gain power over all of the angels. So uh, 
he starts freaking out because that's very bad. Whatever Eternal Knight could do to the world of Innistrad, a vampire scion having power over all the angels could do so much worse. So uh, there's a little funeral, or funeral, there's a <laughs> wedding procession. This is Same not difference. a funeral. In this case, yeah. Uh, and not only are uh, the Markov family gathered to sort of put some salt in the wound for Soren. Olivia has also gotten all of these vampires dressed up as Avicennian priests to add even more insult to this injury. Uh, mm. The priest has some wonderful lines about how Soren brought uh, Edgar to be uh, wedded off to Olivia, which Soren shouts out that he did no such thing, and everyone laughs because this is all just a very funny little charade. Uh, the priest asks Olivia to say her vow. And it is absolutely hilarious. It is one of the funniest moments. Uh, Olivia does not sugarcoat it at all. She is a, her vow is um, Edgar, darling Edgar. We met so many centuries ago. I've long forgotten the occasion, which is very funny considering that, you know, one of the major occasions was him turning her into a vampire. Uh, But I remember the moment I realized we should be together like it was yesterday. Soren left your coffin unguarded, and I thought to myself, what a fool to leave a man like that unattended. You're in my care now, and together we'll rule in Estrad. I promise I'll always consider your opinions for at least a moment before rejecting them, Edgar. I promise to overlook your sartorial missteps, and I promise to grant you the honor of being my husband. Uh, very Olivia. Uh, but before Edgar Markov can say his vows, uh, Soren starts giving it his all. Soren decides that Thousands of years ago, Edgar Markov made the most important decision of Soren's life for him by forcing him to drink the blood of the angel and become a vampire. So tonight, Soren repays that favor. Uh, he uses his sangromancy power to control the blood in the Moon Silver Key, creates a blade out of it, and then uses that to cut the chains. Uh, once he's cut his own chains, he sort of tumbles forward and he stands right in front of them and says, I object. And Soren says, or Olivia says, Soren, you're ruining my special day. Um, and then we cut to uh, outside where Chandra and et al. are still uh, gathered and chatting. Uh, and Chandra has this really fun aside with Arlen and Adeline. Uh, and she asks, it's a vampire wedding, right? Do you think there's cake in there? Um, <laughs> Great. It's such a cute moment. It's so delightful. It really um, is. And so... Uh, Adeline kind of groans. They all laugh a little bit. Kaya is taking this very seriously. She's not as she's not laughing as much as the other ones, but that's in keeping with Kaya. Um, but uh, Teferi reminisces and and says that you know weddings are for bringing people together, and, and even vampires. Uh, but they can't get in, so go back inside. Which Soren just starts tearing up the place. Um, he fights off his guards, who are wearing the most. Uh, I would say. It's not very good armor, and they have not very it's good ceremonial. weapons. Yeah, it's all very ceremonial, and it's all bad. Um, but he is desperate to just kill Olivia. He is not going to let this happen. And he keeps fighting, and he gets to about an upper hand, uh, and then the moon silver key starts glowing. And that's when uh, the spirit of Catilda comes out. Surprise, Mama uh, <laughs> Yeah, she's she's dead. This is her spirit. This is not Catilda in bodily form. Uh, the thing that I thought was really interesting, one of the details from this, is that uh, it's described, Soren, from his point of view, describes it, 
a geist of some sort bursting from the key. No, not a geist, something else. He's seen things like this on other planes. This is someone's spirit separated from their body. So it sort of gives us an idea that geists and spirits aren't necessarily the same thing. A geist on Innistrad is different from like a spirit somewhere else, uh, which is a neat little detail because that is really true in keeping with what we know about geists on Innistrad. They look different than most spirits do. A lot of geists on Innistrad don't have like the human form. They're often sort of twisted in some way. Um, so I thought that was neat. Uh, Olivia snaps at her, who invited you, and the spirit turns towards her and says, you did, ha. which I think is very funny. Lovely. Uh, so Catilda's spirit, realizing what's happening here and seeing what's going on to uh, Sigarda, starts working some magic, and Soren buys her enough time to release Sigarda from her, her bonds. And at that moment, um, Sigarda, Sigarda's not very happy about this. Uh <laughs> There's, there's a moment where Soren, as I said, a lot of this is happening internally, and Soren starts thinking about Sagarda, and he thinks about angels, and how uh, when he created Avicen, he watched all of the angels at the plane to sort of learn what an angel was for. Um, and he said that Sagarda didn't have a lot of the same, like, you know, Bruna would ponder on things for a long time, and Gisela was quick to act, and and merciless and Sigarda just loved humanity. She always fought for humanity and Soren wanted to implement that in Avicen, but didn't quite get it as much. Uh, he wanted to sim, he created like a simulacrum of that love, even if he couldn't recreate it himself. Um, but one thing he could never have done is have imbued Avicen with as much righteous wrath as Sigarda has right now. So Sigarda pops out of her, her bindings and says, all of you are guilty. And then a huge bright flash of light takes the place, crashes the stained glass window behind them, sending glass shards everywhere. Soren manages to uh, use some blood as a shield to you know, protect himself. But uh, the rest of the hall is just sort of like exploded into sharp shards of glass, uh, killing, I'm sure, a lot of vampires or at least seriously wounding them. Uh, and then outside, we know that Chandra and all the, the crew are watching this happen. And they're really surprised because um, not only did that stained glass window break, but uh, also the wards keeping them out. So now the uh, the backup team, the crew, can slide into this castle. And we are preparing for uh, the party to really get started in the next episode. I object. <laughs> Yeah, that, that moment was so good. Soren just like doubling forward and being like, I object. And it's like, God, if this was like a a movie, these scenes would feel really cheesy, but you would be at home like clapping along. Yeah. You know you would. It's great. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I, I love the details, especially yeah. that stained glass part. Like it, it was so good. And then the ending, like just the little... Scorpion staying at the end, and hopefully it lasts long enough for an angel to get get thrown through it at the end. Just like, uh, well, uh, no angel was thrown through this window. Well, the angel blew it up. (laughs) (laughs) The angel flinged the window, that's for sure. Um, I'm assuming there's about to be a bunch of angels showing up. So we'll learn that in the next episode. Um, 
some somewhere while I was uh, going through the summary of that, we lost Carrie for a minute. Carrie has been having some internet connection issues, but uh, they might uh, be back before the end of the episode. And and I'm back. I literally just said that Carrie lost internet and might be back before <laughs> the end of the episode. And now I'm back. God, internet service providers need to be nationalized immediately. That's such, a good point. Such utter, utter insert curse word here. Well, Carrie, tell us what your thoughts were on this main story, because we have finished the summary. Main story, you know, what can I say? It's the main, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I appreciate Soren intervening on his grandfather's behalf, um, even though I'm not entirely convinced at this point. I haven't read ahead. I'm not entirely convinced at this point that Edgar is like fully being mind controlled. Like, I don't know. He just kind of seems like he might be into it. He seems like a weirdo who could be into this shit. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure we'll find out by the end of the spirit or at the, by the end of the story, what his motivations are. Um, Katilda's return appreciated. Uh, Sigarda blowing up and acting like she don't know nobody. Very good. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was honestly a very good story. Like as somebody who is not spoiled on many of the story spotlight points because they weren't on cards and also the ca- characters for the most part. Um, enjoyable read. Like kept up the pace. Had a lot of um, a lot of fulfilling of the wedding reaching some kind of. Uh, action point <laughs> where people actually start fighting instead of just like holding back Soren the entire time. So, yeah, yeah I was thinking earlier how uh, when you're writing like a five act story, you usually want the climax to happen somewhere around the end of the third act. Uh, and people will think, well, oh, but the climax should come towards the end. And it's like, no, no, no. The climax happens around the end of the third act. And then everything else is just the, the resolution from that climax. So this was the climax of the story. Uh, Soren interrupted the wedding. Uh, Katilda has returned as a spirit. We have reached the high point, and everything else from here is just going to be resolving it. Yeah, and the Gatewatch actually having access to the building now. Yeah, it's a. I'm excited to see how the fight goes down because you know uh, one of Teferi's ways of dealing with people is to uh, reverse them in time until they just sort of poof out of existence or speed them up. Uh, how does that work with vampires who are, you know, thousands of years old? Maybe we'll find out. That would be a really cool thing to do. Um, I'd love to see Teferi revert a vampire until they're young and nothing change. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a really good story. I'm uh, really excited for the next part, two parts because I want to see the fights, you know? I want to see Arlen versus Olivia. I want to see what happens when Edgar... Uh, is allowed to sort of recognize what's going on. Cause like you said, I don't think he's like, I don't think he's fully mind controlled, but I do think that Olivia is sort of like swaying him in a certain direction. Uh, Cause that's what Olivia would do. So I yeah, think that, yeah. The way that they outlined how Sor or how Edgar acts um, when he's awakened by Soren, depending on his mood makes it sound like you have a certain amount of, control over how that person feels when they first awaken, but it's, it doesn't feel like it's complete control, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me being hopeful or something, but 
I don't know. It, I'm definitely very interested to see what his perspective is after that kind of fades or. Wasn't Olivia's original card a pinger that took control? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's that would probably mechanically be the other half of it. How much of that holds up in story? Can't say for sure. She has had two other cards since then, and I don't I don't recall either of those doing the uh, steal effects. So yeah, the newest one doesn't steal anything. It just reanimates something. Ah. So you know, fitting with her waking up Edgar. But yeah, I think that uh, if any character would be able to recognize when they've been charmed in some way, it would be Edgar since he is obviously being charmed by blood magic. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it shapes up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, good main story so far. Uh, sorry. It's taking us so long to get through it, but uh, end of the year holidays and we are not used to getting a story at this time of year. So yeah, I was about to say this is the fifth bonus set. So can't blame. Normally, when we get a story at this time of the year, it's like in a PDF form posted on the the website. <laughs> Please, this agenda. Wow. I think I think everybody on this podcast wants Children of the Nameless to be back, but I just love how it's snuck into every single every single episode. I'm not going to let this one die. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, legitimately, it would have been cool to. Um, I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened, or else I probably would have heard about it tangentially. But like having a reference to Davriel being on Innistrad or um, any kind of tie-in to Children of the Nameless existing would be um, much appreciated. I don't believe that's happened this set. I don't really think they've tried to tie in too much to past sets beyond like the legendary creatures and like following up kind of the main story with Odric and Thalia. But it's... I don't know. It would be appreciated to acknowledge that that's a thing that existed at one point. At one point before it was stolen away. So, well, the the side story for this week contains kind of a reference to Children of the Nameless. A little bit. It's not really a reference, but it's something that made me think of Children of the Nameless. <laughs> um, <laughs> the best kind of reference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess we can move on to the side story for this week, which was uh, Survivors by Reinhard Suarez. Um, the, the thing that stuck out to me, I'll just go ahead and say it, uh, at the beginning of the story, we get Torrens, who we have a card for, so that's cool, uh, and apparently he's like a snake oil salesman, uh, he's just traveling town to town on Innistrad, uh, selling things like, you know, oh, this'll keep werewolves away, and this keeps witches' hexes off of you, and, uh, this mirror with some weird goo on it will keep vampires away, uh, and it's silly, uh, but the village that this takes place in, is Trablossen. The village in Children of the Nameless is Fairlossen. Uh-oh. Yeah. Huh? So they could be geographically close to each other. But yeah, that's that that's the thing I wanted to bring up about the story was the name of the town was similar. Uh so like the the story survivors, right? Reinhardt Suarez. The term survivors here has a lot of meaning throughout the story. I thought this one was incredible, but um it's also very long. So I'm going to I'm going to try and break it down into a pretty quick summary of what happens in Survivors. Uh, so like I said, Torrens shows up to this village, uh, Trablassen. He's trying to sell some snake oil. Uh, the town is not buying it. They think he's ridiculous. They laugh at him. He's about to pack up and leave. Uh, and as he's packing up uh, the sort of like master of the town mayor, He's a landlord. He's the landlord of the town, right? Um, and that will give you everything you need to know about how I feel about this person yeah. uh, is that I'm calling him a landlord. 
So uh, this guy, Vitus, uh, shows up and he's like, hey, uh, Torrens, we should talk. And Torrens hates him off the bat. Just immediately is like, I don't like this guy. He's dressed too fancy, uh, sounds like a snake. Uh, and he offers Torrens a job and Torrens says no. And then Vitus says, hey, I know that there's people tracking you and they want to find you and I will tell them where you are if you don't do this job. Uh, and Torrens is like, well, I guess I don't have a choice anymore. Um, so he follows Vitus back to his manor, which is big and, and elaborate and wholly gaudy. Uh, inside the manor, there's like giant portraits of Vitus and his grandfather. But outside the manor is this like young guy. Like the way I get it is that he's like still like a teenager. Like he's not old enough to be an adult uh, who's there to like argue for his family because his family's behind on rent. And Vitus does not want to hear from this guy and starts like trying to hush, shush him away and move him away. And Torrance is like, no, 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 no. If you're going to hear, if I'm going to be here to hear you talk about a job, you're going to have to listen to this kid. Uh, so the kid turns out, he's like, hey, we don't have money for rent. And Vitus is like, we'll talk about this later. Go put Torrance, you know, cart away and come back at some other time. Uh, so they go inside and turns out Vitus wants him to investigate this keep that's outside the village. And like these weird noises have been coming from it. And Torrens is like, uh, okay. And then Vitus offers him 25 gold up front and 25 more gold when they're done. And Torrens just snatches that up and is like, absolutely sure. I'll do this job. Um, do we get a flashback to when Torrens was like a small child trying to pickpocket someone? Uh, and he gets caught. Uh, and then his older brother, uh, Elamon, picks him up and is like, hey, stop doing this. And he fights back the people who were called him and is like, you can't keep stealing. We don't do that. Um, clearly setting up that like, hey, Torrens is the younger brother of this guy. He's kind of a thief. Uh, their family's on shaky standings. Uh, also, they live in Hanweir. And that's important. <laughs> that is an important detail that will come up later in the story. Uh, back to the main timeline. Torrens accepts the job. He offers to cover the boy's rent that they were behind on. Uh, Vitus's son, Boris, then takes Torrens up to the keep. And there's like these big ornate doors. The keep is otherwise in ruins, though. Uh, turns out that that boy from earlier, Alexander, followed them and is like wearing like really crappy armor and is like, I'm going to help. And Boris is like, go home. And Torrens is like, OK, now you can come with me. Uh, and Alexander's like, why did you say I could come with you? And Torrens says he doesn't like a bully. Um, so we're getting a lot of like little character details about Torrens here that I'm really appreciating. Uh, so Boris leaves them be and sends Torrens and Alexander into this like dilapidated keep. Uh, Alexander talks about his life and how it's just him and his mom and his dad and how they're smiths, but there's no one who needs any metal work right now because there's no farms to tend and yada, yada, yada. Uh, Torrens is listening, you know, nodding along, and then they hear the shriek from upstairs. Uh, we get another flashback. Torrens is in a bar in Hanweir, and he's drinking, and it turns out that he's there to do some illicit drop-off, where, like, someone's going to smuggle in some contraband, and Torrens is going to facilitate this, you know, trade-off, uh, highly illegal. And then Torrens' older brother shows up and starts, like, talking with him and being friendly. And then we learn that uh, this older brother, he's now a member of the Guard. So Torrens is like, crap, I am about to do something incredibly illegal and my brother is here to bust me. So he like has a little fight with his brother and runs off. Uh, that's when Torrens leaves Hanweir. Remember, this is Hanweir. So, so yeah, and, and the fact that he 
like the reason he fights his brothers is to get away from being implicated in this deal that that he was there to May and the guy showed up late. Yeah. Also, like his brother knew that that was what was going on. Yeah. Um. It was he was aware that Torrens was doing this. Uh. He was just trying to like I guess trying to get Torrens to admit to it or stop before it ever happened. And Torrens knows that they need the money. Uh. Their dad is dead. It's just their mom at home. Uh. Torrens is like living on his own. But he's not making ends meet, uh, so he he decides to run off from Hanweir uh, rather than face you know being arrested by his own brother. And what's that going to do to their family? Uh, so he runs off and leaves. Back to the present, uh, we see Torrens has lost Alexander. So they ran upstairs and got surrounded by all the smoke. Uh, and then Torrens pulls out this weapon that he's sort of been hinting at the entire time. Uh, it is this like rune carver's mace or rune chanter's mace that was uh part of the armory in thraben for the cathars that he stole and ran off with which is why he's being hunted by the cathars uh he pulls out this mace and it lights up because apparently it lights up anytime he's around something evil um alexander has disappeared in the smoke uh the smoke dissipates and on the floor is alexander's sword and his lantern and then behind torrens is this woman who's chained up in a bed uh, and her name is Aruth, who also has a card. Uh, turns out, Aruth sort of reveals to him that, hey, uh, you were led here to be trapped here. Uh, turns out all of this village, you know, ran by uh, cultists. That Vitus guy, he's bad. Uh, not surprising. He's a landlord. So, of course, he's bad. Um, the woman, you know, reveals sort of like she is this prophet, this seer who sees things and, and knows things. And uh, she's being sort of led by this woman that she calls the dark lady. And that's all really cool details. And Torrens is like really interested in it, but he's also interested in the fact that like, you know, they have to get out of there. Uh, they are basically setting up to be sacrificed. Um, there's some demon that's leading or what Torrens believes is a demon that's leading these devils uh, that were the ones who took Alexander. And he's like, all right, well, there's this demon downstairs. We should go rescue Alexander and get out of here. Uh, we get another flashback, and we learn that after Torrens left Hanweir, he went to Thraben, joined up with the Cathars, because he got there, like, right before the first siege of Thraben by uh, Liliana and the Kakani siblings. Uh, so the whole place was full of, like, zombies, and Torrens just went to go find some, like, supplies from the dead bodies, and the Cathars found them. But it wasn't just any Cathar, it was Audric himself, who realized that they needed all the help they could get and took in Torrens and Torrens was serving under Audric for a while. And that's pretty cool. Uh, but then Audric got kicked out of the Lunark council. Things kind of went to crap in Thraben and Torrens decided that like he had to get out of there. But part of that was also because he gotten a letter from his brother saying that their, his, their mom was dying and that he needed to return to Hanweir uh, to see his mother and to help his mother who was just sort of like wasting away. So we get this flashback of Torrens riding up to Hanweir or where Hanweir used to be and discovering that the entire village has walked away. So if you remember from Shadows of Renistrad and Eldritch Moon, Hanweir literally just stood up and left. The whole village sort of morphed into one big Eldrazified blob and walked away. And so we are to assume that Torrens' mom and his brother were just part of that blob. Um, so... That's why it's important to know uh, what happened to Hanweir. Uh, back in the story, the modern day, 
uh, Torrens goes downstairs and they find these like walls of vials that are filled with like blue silvery smoke. And Aruth explains that like, oh, those are all people's bad memories. Those are all bad thoughts, bad memories, traumatic experiences. They've all been taken from people and put in these vials. Uh, they come across the big sort of altar room, ritual room, where Alexander is now standing in the sort of center of this uh, cold iron circle that has been inscribed with you know runes that lock something inside. And Alexander has been possessed by Umbris, which is another card that we got. It's only in the collector boosters, though, or set boosters or something. It's one of those. Um, it's like <laughs> a... Yeah, I don't remember exactly where it came uh, from. There's so many different ways to get these cards now. Uh, but Umbris is like a nightmare monster that feeds on people's negative memories. And because of that, uh, Umbris has sort of been kept there by Vitus's grandfather and Vitus's family since the founding of the town, uh, or great-grandfather. So it's been even longer than that. Uh, and what Umbris does is that he collects all of these bad thoughts from people while they're sleeping or before they, they go to bed or something of that sort. He collects these thoughts from them so that when they wake up in the morning, they no longer remember the bad things. And so they can just go about their lives and, most importantly, go about their work without any of these distractions. So uh, you may have thoughts on that. My thought is that is terrifying because essentially the landlord has been being very landlordy uh, and making sure that his tenants can work. It's even worse than landlordy. It, it's, uh, it's awful. I would say it's worse than being a landlord, but landlords are real and Umbris is not. So, <laughs> if you want to talk about something terrifying, what if I told you that uh, Vitus is could be real? Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Umbris has basically been taking these bad thoughts from people and so that they could do their work. Uh, and Umbris starts sort of taunting Torrens and Aruth, and he's like, "You know, I know everything about you. I know all of the terrible things that have ever happened to you." And he offers uh, Torrens. To like, hey, I'll take all of those bad memories you have of Hanweir, everything you've ever known of Hanweir, your entire family, I'll take all those memories away and you'll never have to think about them again. You'll be so much happier. Uh, Torrens realizes uh, that Alexander had no memory of the fact that he had a sister who died and Umbers just took that memory from him. So Alexander believes, or you know, believed at the time, that he only had a mom and dad and no siblings. Turns out he had a whole sister he was made to forget. Uh, and this really sort of sticks with uh, Torrens and makes him very unhappy. So he rebukes this offer, makes a show of force towards Umbris with his mace, and then says, hey, I've got an offer of my own. Uh, so we cut back to town, and the townspeople have rightfully turned on Vitus. Uh, Vitus is now surrounded, and all of his like you know council people or his hunters, the people who are you know his right hands, have been surrounded by the townsfolk who all have pitchforks and torches and rocks. Uh, and Torrens is there with a roof and they're like, this is great. All the people have had their memories restored because Umbris has started giving them back. Those devils who were there before are now back at the keep, smashing these memories and letting them back into the people's minds, including the fact that, you know, Vitus, the landlord has been taking these memories from them. Uh, things start to get a little violent uh, <laughs> as you would expect them to. Um, and Umbris shows up and is delighted at all of this going on. And he surrenders Alexander back to uh, Torrens and says, hey, you can have this guy back. I've got my own fun to have. 
uh, we'll see each other again someday. And Alexander sort of comes to his senses and then immediately starts getting all these traumas revisited upon him. Uh, so Torrens holds him and sort of comforts him through this terrible experience he's having, which reminds me a lot of like, you know, Torrens's older brother comforting him or, you know, should have been comforting him as a child. Uh, Aruth decides she's going to stay in town and Torrens figures he's going to head out. Uh, and that's where the story ends. It's a long one. It's really good, but it's a long one. I, yeah, I, I'm I'm so happy that Vitus is getting his just desserts at the at the end. It's uh, stone on flush, then stone breaks bone. It's chef's kiss. Great. Yeah, it's pretty clear that Vitus is gonna die. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is not a good ending for him, uh, and I think rightfully so. Um, Vitus is a scummy, horrible human being. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. And he's a landlord. Yeah, maybe Umbrus would like, you know, do something about a mouse in your apartment. Like, you know, <laughs> anything, literally anything. Not saying that's happened to me before. Not saying they were renovating the building next to us and mice obviously got into the walls. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really question what Vitus's end game here was like. He sends someone who is known to have some kind of connections to Catherus. Even if it, he doesn't have the most sterling reputation, he sends a, a would-be Cather into this keep where his, his ally is draining the memories from people. And, like, what did he think was going to happen here? I don't know. <laughs> that part has, like, eluded me. I, I think what might have been the intention was that he was sending uh, Torrens up there with the idea that Torrens would go up there and like become a host for Umbris, because uh, Umbris maybe wanted a host or needed a host for some reason. But she um, couldn't leave that that little circle, right? Yeah, but like but that was he couldn't leave that circle. Umbris, well, Umbris. I don't know if Umbris has. I think they had he pronouns at the end, but regardless, Umbris could. I don't think Umbris could leave that circle until. Uh, um, Torn smashed the circle, so I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's a little confusing, but there's also the option that Vitus just sent him up there to die. Um, it might have been that he knew that uh, Torrens had like all these terrible histories, and maybe he was just feeding Umbris. Maybe he thought like, oh, this will be a good snack for Umbris. It'll be someone who has a traumatic childhood. Um, you know. As landlords are wont to do, they go, oh, wow, you're disadvantaged and terrible. Uh, your life has been awful. I'm here to take advantage of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was suspicious for him to, like, have a full indexed history of Torin's interactions from the start. So, yeah, maybe. I mean, that part, like, I, I could get it because if uh, Torrens' brother was sending missives out in nearby villages looking for his brother, maybe that that got word back to Vitus since, like, he does have a notable standing and Cathars who pass through might uh, give him that message or whatnot. But uh, it's still weird. But yeah, uh, Umbris was bound in that circle because... Uh, uh, it motioned like there's a passage right after they're introduced. It took a step backward motion to the floor where a small raised ring of metal etched with runes encircled its feet. Torrens was no wizard, but it could hazard a guess as to what kind of magic was at play. A binding circle of iron, cold iron preventing escape. So yeah, yeah, Umbris was bound there, but like... It, I think, it, yeah. It's interesting. I think the idea was that uh, 
Vitus didn't think that Torrens would ever leave. Um, he was either sent there to die or he was sent there to be harvested. Uh, and I think Umbris couldn't leave that circle regardless of possessing a human. So like that wasn't a concern. The only thing that could have happened was breaking the circle. And like, why would this ex Cathar let this horror loose? You know, what would be the the justification for letting this evil thing out into the world? And it turns out because, you know, there is something slightly more evil than a nightmare monster, and that's a landlord. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my thought. I I thought it was interesting because Umbris, he doesn't really hurt. Like, he does not directly hurt anyone in this story. Yeah, like just a leech. Yeah, he just eats their memories or their thoughts or emotions or something, which is bad when it's weaponized. And I think it would also be bad to happen out in the wild, but like, Umbris isn't like a demon going around eating sacrifices, you know? Uh, he's trapped there, and there's a chance they were going to be sacrificed to him in some way, but we don't really see what that would look like. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm interested in the future of Umbris and what's going to happen for, for Umbris in the future story uh, that I'm sure we'll get uh, in a PDF form as a novella released on October. Or wow! Um <laughs> Never I'm just saying, like, we, we only got 19 stories for this return to Innistrad, and I want one more. You want exactly one more? Just exactly one more. Okay, uh, we'll give you Chandra number three, which had a sequence set on Innistrad. <laughs> Carrie, you might have been the only person in the entire world who read Chandra number three, so I can't prove <laughs> if that's true or not. And I don't know uh, if there's anyone I can ask. No, because, I mean, Tybalt gets stuck there, and then who knows if that's the same continuity as the main continuity, but he gets out, I guess. Um, yeah, that was the whole events of the comics. It's not nearly as exciting as Boom has made theirs. So, yeah. Speaking of Boom comics, uh, Tesseret Master of Metal came out. Um, so that's there. There's a, there's a new Boom comic, for those of you who want to read it. Uh, and we're about to get issue number nine of that series so like go read them <laughs> we're gonna talk about them eventually yeah tesseret master metal came out magic number nine will be coming out this week still don't love that they just called the comic magic because not a great name uh, not great for searchability either but yeah magic number nine comes out this week and then i believe I am, that magic uh, I'm sure number whatever 10... you just said carrie was incredibly interesting and insightful uh, yeah but uh -oh. we can't hear any of it because your internet uh is messing up again so <laughs> i'm gonna put that in post-production and hope it was uh insightful and interesting um but uh until then uh i think we're done for this week brian do you have any final thoughts while we wait to see if carrie can uh give their final thoughts i'm catching up on uh the good place and it's great and the 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 longer the show goes on, the more surprised at the, the the twists and turns that are being taken. And I honestly could not have ever expected the premise of the show as to where it is now compared to where it started. And yeah, it's super interesting. And I know I'm super late to the party, but the show's great. Uh, what is your what 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 season are you on? I believe I'm on season three. Yeah, the, the cool thing about The Good Place is that it's four seasons and every single one of them is an absolute banger. Like, they they did not 
try and stretch that show out, every season, every episode is good, which is remarkable for a television show. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I, I love The Good Place. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the second episode of season three. So, yeah, it's uh, super sweet. My my only regret about The Good Place is that I can't watch it again with no memory of The Good Place. I might need to contact Umbris and convince Umbris that The Good Place is a bad memory um, and to take it from <laughs> me so I can rewatch it. Fair enough. I want to experience it for the first time again, uh, especially with like the big reveal at the end of the first season. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, absolutely mind-blowing, and yet I'll never be able to experience that again. Um very sad. But uh yeah, my uh my final thought is that um well, uh you know, I haven't talked about it in a while cuz I haven't played it very much, but uh there's a new expansion for Final Fantasy 14 happening right now. So uh I just want to say to all my 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 friends out there and any of the listeners who are really excited bunny boys just to have a great time. Uh I will one day catch up to Endwalker. I'm not there yet. Um, by a good margin. So I've got a little bit more content to do before I can start playing on the moon, but y'all have a fun time. Uh, very exciting for the world of Final Fantasy XIV because unlike a lot of other MMOs, it seems like expansions come out way less frequently. Like expansions and patches do not come out as often for Final Fantasy XIV as other MMOs. Uh, and when they do come out, they seem they tend to be like much more full of content from what I can tell. Um, so like I think about like my time in WoW and other games I've played where it's like a patch comes out like every few months that like upends everything going on. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen they only seem to get it like once every couple of years, and so it's time. So good for them. Um, we now have time in here for uh, Carrie's final thought. Carrie, what's your final thought? My final thoughts for this week are that I'm currently disconnected from the call once again, but... Being back on this podcast with Brian and Chris has been an honor. I look forward to doing the main story podcast every week, every week that we have it during these holiday times. Um, that's all. Wow, Carrie. Seriously? You know, actually, you know, I'm going to, I agree. I agree with that. I think that's right. Really? I can't yeah. believe they said that. I, I think that it's shocking, but understandable. And I can, I can see that perspective. I, I just can't. I can't with this. I mm. I might have to edit some of that out in post, though, because I don't think we can we can put that on SoundCloud. We might get in trouble. Uh, yeah. Hmm. If you uh, if you want to experience uh, in real time uh, Carrie's Internet going out and having to record a final thought after we've recorded, uh, you can do that by joining our live listen uh, on pa- on patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. Uh, you can. Uh, Give us some money every month. It's like a dollar for access to our Discord server where Vorthoses from around the world are talking about uh, the new alchemy format and the Boom comics and the Crimson Vow story. Uh, you can come join us and talk about that. Or for $3 a month, you can get live listen access where you can like hang out and listen to us talk for like a long time before and after recording. Uh, where We just go into depth about what we're feeling about things and how we're thinking. Uh, you can chat with us, and uh, it's a good time. So highly recommend that if you want to uh, do that. We'd appreciate it. Um, yeah, that was a smooth transition for our Discord and uh, Patreon plug, I think. Uh, all thanks to the fact that Carrie's internet provider is terrible. 
Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.